and a pleasant good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. My name is Lebowitz, joined alongside Jack Hendon. As always, it's episode 40 here on PGE, a milestone. We're nearing the year mark of the podcast. Can't believe we've been doing it this long. Jack, as the Mets come off of a series win and a season series win over the Padres, doesn't quite feel like that, does it? No, definitely not. It's like, it, it really is just kind of, I don't know. I feel like there's taking two or three from a series is great, but winning the last game of the series to take two or three hits a lot differently than missing a sweep and taking two out of three. And the way they lost this game, like we'll have a lot of time to talk about it, but it just, uh, you know, left a bad taste in the mouth for sure. It was, and it, I think it did because it was a fun series. Like they really should have could have and should have swept this series against a really good team uh so we'll talk a little bit about that we'll talk about um we'll talk about Jacob deGrom we'll talk about David Peterson who's pitching today this is another week where we just talk about uh uh injuries and depth and management but you know it gives us some good opportunities to I think like pick apart what has generally happened to this point because this is, I mean, this is a good team. They came out of this week pretty good. Um, a game over, like anytime you're coming out of like stretches against teams, a game better, two games better than you were before, especially in this division, that's progress. But, uh, you know, you definitely, we definitely tend to, I think, lament uh, how much better they could be. So that this will be another one of those for sure. And we do uh, just want to quickly say uh, thank you for your patience today as we got this episode out. Just a little bit later than usual, Jack and I usually record on Sunday evenings, and today we were kind of forced to record here on Monday early afternoon because, well, uh, work for me generally. Turns out calling college baseball is hard, and that's what I'm doing this summer, and I had a doubleheader yesterday, and it just went on forever, and I got out of there way too late, and Jack and I decided to record the following day, instead of on Sunday, a 15 nothing game with like eight walks, it was it was like a high school game. It was absolutely brutal. But the Mets and the Padres are done for the season. The Mets won four out of seven. And the first two of the series after they split two in Baltimore to start the week, uh, both of those games in Baltimore were slugfests in one direction or the other. The Mets got blown out in the first game. David Peterson was awful again. And in game two, the Mets beat up on Matt Harvey. And then they came home to face the Padres and took two of three with wins on Friday with Jacob deGrom on the mound. That was a, forget the final score. Three to two. Three to two, yeah. Uh, And then uh, a four to one win on Saturday with Marcus Stroman on the hill. And then a game that they could have won with Joey LaCasey on the mound on Sunday. They had a 2-1 lead uh, after six. Familia pitched a clean sixth in relief of Luke Casey, who had only given up a leadoff home run. He's been good for like three or four weeks now. Yeah. And Luis Rojas had kind of a tired bullpen. Edwin Diaz wasn't available. Seth Lugo wasn't available. Aaron Loop wasn't available. So he went to Familia for a second inning in the seventh. Familia walked three batters in that inning, including a bases loaded game tying walk to Tommy Pham. And then instead of going to literally anyone else, yeah. First of all, Familia shouldn't have faced Fam with the base no. load. No way. Is that Second like, of all, what was the out? Like thirty-four pitches, like something joke. like that. He wound up throwing like forty pitches. 
they took him out for yeah. Jacob Barnes instead of literally anyone else. And predictably against one of the best players in baseball, Fernando Tatis, he gave up a go-ahead grand slam and then a second consecutive home run to Manny Machado, which turned what was a two to one lead in the latter third of the game into a seven to two deficit and they lost seven, three. So there are things to talk about regarding Luis Rojas's managerial decisions there, which we will absolutely get into because it's worth talking about because that's the big storyline of this game. People are like panicking about it right now. I don't think we need to panic about it because again, this team took four of seven from a really good Padres team. They're still on a homestand. Now they face the Cubs today uh, and they've been really, really good at home. The division, even though they lost some of the ground that they had over the Phillies and Braves yesterday, uh, they still are up, I believe, two and a half in the division. It's I checked this morning. So they're up three over the Phils and they're up five over the Braves. Um, both of those teams are both still under 500. Um, the only real like, I mean, I think it's it's. I'm not that worried about the Phillies because they really do this like every year. And in a lot of ways are like the Mets little brother when it comes to how they develop through a season, like they'll start off kind of encouraging and then they'll kind of fall off. I'm much more concerned about what the Braves do when that pitching inevitably starts to grow up. Like Ian Anderson, I think is pretty good. He's better than really any like young pitcher the Mets can give right now like I'm more worried about what they do even with the injuries they've gone through but five games is still like it's still comfortable I think it's just it's one of those things where it could be six games um and you could be gaining even more ground and you know this Cubs team I don't necessarily think the Cubs are that much better than we are they did sweep us last time we played them um that's not to say this is going to be harder than it was to face the Padres but uh I am like, I want to say like 75% certain that if the Mets had won, if they had completed a sweep of the Padres, uh, they would have probably taken two or three from the Cubs. And this is like totally speculating. This is just me speaking to the emotional experience of everything. But uh, there's really, I think, a much different vibe going into today if they sweep that game. And, And vibes are like, you know, that's not really a way you measure baseball objectively as fun as it is for us with all the vibes that this team exudes, but not unless you're Marcus Stroman yet. Right. Marcus Stroman or, or like, you know, I guess Dom Smith maybe, or um, Joey Lucchese with the Churv vibes. I mean, Lucchese's look good lately. I, I trust him a lot more than Peterson. I think, I don't, I don't know how much of that like Churv thing is like, you know, contributing to his performance, uh, but it's it's really fun. I mean, I I was shocked to read the box score because I missed the first five innings of this game. I had my own game uh, on Randall's Island, but uh, like he he's really I think come into his own and become a lot more comfortable, and that makes me happy. He still doesn't go deep into games, so you you still really need to work out like how you get innings uh, in starts not made by Degrom, Stroman, or Walker, but. Uh, He's been very good. I just really wish they could have come through on this because uh, this is probably only like the third game this year where it's like, yes, if it weren't for Luis Rojas, we probably would have won. Um, and I definitely am not like in the the like Frank Fleming uh, camp 
when it comes to stuff like this. I'm not convinced the season's over or anything, but when you think about how much more fun everything would have been if they'd won this game and just how bloody awful those last three innings were, like, I mean, it's natural to be upset and it's natural to think about how much better the situation could have been if literally anybody other than Jacob Barnes had taken the ball with runners on base and two outs because Barnes has been their worst reliever literally all season. He's only here because he doesn't have options left. They're bringing up Sean Reed Foley, but I I don't know if this is going to mean the end for Barnes because they would need to, uh, you know, they need to DFA him. And they really seem to like him for some reason, but his ERA has been north of six for a long time. Like it's, he just at least should not be pitching in those games. You had Drew Smith. I would have literally gone to Aaron Loop in that situation. Even if Loop has gone like two days in a row, like Aaron Loop against Fernando Tatis, literally that guy against Fernando Tatis with the bases loaded inspires more confidence than Jacob Barnes um, with anybody on base. You need to pick him in like very harmless situations. Like I remember when they did like, and then I'll, I'll, I'll turn the floor over, but like, I remember the only time I ever felt comfortable with Barnes pitching in a game was like, that game in Miami where there were like two outs and nobody on because the Marlins had like just cleared the bases to bring the deficit to bring our lead to only one run. And they brought him in like that. I was okay with, you can't bring him in with guys on base. That's just like, this is very elementary stuff. So yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a little pissed off. Yeah. I'm frustrated too, but back to the point, I just want to quickly mention uh, about the division standings. Uh, the Mets have an opportunity to gain ground right tonight. Uh, the Braves do not play tonight. And then they start a two game set against the Red Sox who, despite a blowout loss against the Blue Jays yesterday are still playing really good baseball. And the Phillies are out West, never easy. And they start a series with the Dodgers tonight. So the Mets have an opportunity to gain some ground. If they can kind of square up with this Cubs team, which has been very good. Surprisingly, they're coming off of a sweep of a reeling Cardinals team. Um, and Jake Arietta goes on the Hill against David Peterson tonight. And Peterson has been bad and we're worried about that. And we kind of anticipate Javi Baez hitting one 460 some odd feet against him tonight. But uh, Barnes sucks. There's really no other way to say it. He has had good games. Uh, he threw like two scoreless innings against the Padres in San Diego last weekend, uh, which was good. And then they needed that from him. However, he had clean inning. There was really no pressure. The Mets were down in that game. Here he is coming into a tie game in the seventh inning with the bases loaded and one of the best hitters on the planet coming up a guy who has been red hot for like three weeks off, you know, since, you know, coming off the IL like Fernando Tatis is on another planet right now. It's got, it was his 19th home run of the season. I believe that leads the national league. He's an incredible baseball player and he's capable of hitting any pitch as long as it touches the strike zone out of the ballpark. And he got like a 91 mile an hour cutter on the outside part of the plate and he hit it 412 feet to left center, give or take. Yeah. You yeah. have to go to anybody, anyone else. I understand like Drew Smith. I don't get why Drew Smith is not in the circle of trust. If Jacob Barnes is, I don't yeah. understand it. I get that Drew Smith 
was working his way into the circle of trust. And then he gave up the walk-off home run in Miami to Garrett Cooper. Mm. But like, he's objectively better than, than Jacob Barnes. Or Trevor May. Like, I understand the whole, I, I, I don't agree with it. Right. And I don't, I, I don't understand it. I hear it though, a lot about how like you want to save May for the seventh or eighth inning. First off, that guy didn't pitch at all in this series. You didn't pitch him once. Like, how is he that far down the ladder at this point relative to Jacob Barnes when he's shown time and time again that with actual like runners on base and actually good hitters up, he'll at worst get out on hard contact. Like it, it, it blows my mind to me, this, this mentality. It's a really outdated and just stupid mentality that like you know we need him for later so we're going to put ourselves in jeopardy right now and just drop basically like a a a whole pack of mentos into this boiling pot of coca-cola and just bring in jacob barnes like that's not going to go badly at all like what difference does it make if trevor may pitches the eighth or not if you're down by five by the time we get there like everybody saw that coming. This is the other thing. Like when everybody knows that a matchup isn't working for the Mets, I don't know why a big league manager is going with that matchup. Like, and yeah, to your point about Drew Smith, like I don't get it either. Maybe he wasn't available. That's so crazy to me though, that like. Well, he pitched. Yeah. Drew Smith pitched played. the last two innings. He pitched the right. eighth and the ninth. They, you know what really this should have been? Luis Rojas should have had somebody warming up as soon as Jerry Samilia got off of that mound in the sixth inning, because for one thing, you might have him sitting there in the dugout for 20 minutes for another thing. He's not somebody that really ever does two innings. And the Mets have tried this now, I think three times this year with him where they stretch him out. He's not going to be able to go today or tomorrow. No doubt. Like you can't pitch him again after that, after 40 pitches when he really only needed to make like 15 to 25 pitches. Like you should have had somebody prepared if it was going to be Barnes, he should have come in much earlier in that inning. And it probably shouldn't have even been Barnes because you have two pitchers who are better than him, who are both sitting there. I get the Castro evidently has some sort of injury thing. You still have Trevor May. You still have Drew Smith. It's anyone like I look again, I get it. Like the season's not over. The team is still well over 500. They're in a good position. It could be worse than having Luis Rojas as manager. Like the fact that this is only like the second or third time is not it. Like if Mickey Callaway were manager, this would be a lot worse, but like, I don't know. This team's in first place. Francisco Lindor's on this roster. They spent a lot of money. This is nowhere near the same team as last year. I don't expect them to lose games like that, that brutally anymore. And I think that it's reasonable for fans who expect the same to get upset when a game that was very winnable against a good team, no less, completely evaporates because of a, like a combination of like three bad decisions in one set of like four batters. The idea that like Trevor May had to be held back to close because he's the next best guy behind Edwin Diaz and Seth Lugo, like it's baffling to me. You didn't lose that game. Like you can't. All right. If there's a save situation in the ninth inning, if you get it there, sure, use Trevor May there. But if he's your best available reliever, if he's the guy that you trust in the ninth inning to save the game, 
when the Padres have their best hitter coming up in the seventh with the bases loaded in a tie game, is that not the game right there? Is that not the highest leverage situation that you could find in that game? Yeah, there's still a game going on right there that you're about to lose. It's it it you need to manage in the moment. And like yeah, a lot of managers do this, but like don't manage the ninth inning before you get to the ninth inning. Yeah. If Trevor May is your best option to face Fernando Tatis, Trevor May should be facing Fernando Tatis. Jacob Barnes sucks. Why do people not, why does Luis Rojas not understand that Jacob Barnes sucks and should not ever be pitching to Fernando Tatis in high leverage? The only situation he should be pitching to Fernando Tatis is in a situation that Fernando Tatis cannot tie or give the Padres the lead in that the Mets are down a bunch of runs or the Mets are up a bunch of runs. It's the only situation Jacob Barnes should ever face a a hitter of that quality. Trevor May is good. I know he has struggled a little bit this month, but he is good. Way better than Jacob Barnes. And the big difference between him and Barnes is that he may have a job at the end of today. Jacob Barnes might not because we know Sean Reed Foley is coming back to the team. We don't know the corresponding move. We can speculate that Barnes is finally going to get cut. We could speculate that poor Drew Smith is going to get the boot again because he got, you know, forced into two innings of relief work after he should have already been used. Uh, And he's not going to be available for the next couple of days because he threw two innings. So he might get to to send down to triple a and Jacob Barnes might live another day. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, The worst case is that this kind of thing reverberates and obviously it's tough for us to judge if, they get blown out by the Cubs that it was because of the Sunday game against the Padres. But if Drew Smith gets optioned and Jacob Barnes is still here, if like, if your bullpen gets worse, if your start, if your depth gets worse, it's obviously an after effect of the decisions that Rojas made on Sunday. And that's like, that's very, I think it's a very legitimate criticism. And I don't, I find it like, I find it like really dishonest and I'm not going to like point anyone out and I'm not going to like, you know, wage a war against that side of like Twitter. Like, I think it's really dishonest to like, like gaslight fans and like talk down to fans who are upset about the way that game went in any way, shape or form, or feel that Luis Rojas cost them this game in any way, shape or form. Objectively, he cost them this game. And objectively, he may cost us Drew Smith if the Mets front office decides that Drew Smith is the guy who's just going to get optioned and they're going to continue working with Barnes. Like there is literally no one else to blame for this, but management. And it's like, again, is this situation, could it be worse? Yes. We're in first place in the middle of June. Yeah. It's great. Uh, The team's looking good. The offense is looking good. Um, I don't know. I'm not used to that kind of thing lasting very long. And I think that's, it's reasonable to anticipate that like things, may get a little bit more difficult. I don't want them getting more difficult because of things that we can avoid. Like this is something we can avoid. Injuries, we can't avoid. We can't, we can't like, I'm not gonna blame Rojas for having only like two options. The bullpen being taxed was a result of starters not really going deep into games, uh, other people being injured, logistics, et cetera. Like that's fine. But like, you're telling me you can't still make smart decisions when you only have like, two relievers to to choose from before you go to Jacob Barnes like that's stupid like this is 
we can win that game. We can be doing a lot better right now. And like, I don't know. I think that if we wanted to, like this division could be settled by now. Um, And that would be really cool. It's okay that it's not given where we are, but like, yeah, people are going to be pissed about that. That's perfectly legitimate in my mind. Yeah. With the bullpen, first of all, if you go into a, a game knowing that best case scenario, Joey Lucchese is giving you five innings, which he did, and you have four available arms and two of them are Drew Smith and Jacob Barnes, and you know that you're probably going to have to push Familia for two innings in a close game, you get another arm here. You have optionable guys on your roster. Get another arm here. Uh, Billy McKinney's banged up a little bit. It's literally a 10-day injured list. Put him on the IL for 10 days, even if it's not that serious, because we still don't know if he's going to play tonight. Get another arm here. Reed Foley should have been here to begin with, and he's a guy who can give you length. Like, he should have been here to begin with. Uh, And then the second point is you can't let this turn into a skid, Mm -hmm. and you're facing a division-leading Cubs team right now. You cannot let this turn into a skid. And you have David Peterson – who has got to play stopper tonight, which does not inspire confidence given how bad he's been his last two starts against the Diamondbacks and Orioles have been dreadful. And he's got to be better than that. And, you know, maybe being in in the home ballpark where he's pitched better, maybe that'll help. I hope really, I hope. Um, But the fact of the matter is, is that we're stuck with David Peterson, no matter how badly he pitches because there's really just nobody else. Yeah. Jordan Yamamoto is on the 60-day injured list. He's the next best guy. Joey LaCasey should be the next best guy, but he's already in the starting rotation for the foreseeable future because there's no help on the way. There's no help on the way. Yeah. Carrasco is not coming back nearly anytime soon. Syndergaard, they pretty much said in a a news conference, I think Zach Scott basically said, he's going to be ready by September if he's going to be ready. Um, So that's... Yeah, I think they might end up just having to make a trade at the deadline because the available guys, the only player they really have that they can call on from the 40 is Thomas Sapucky. And I think a lot of people are right to question whether he's going to be that much better than Peterson. I think, like, honestly, Peterson's now had like three of his last six starts where he can't even get out of the third inning. I think Zapucky can probably do better than that. Even if, even if he gives up, five runs in four innings or six runs in four innings or like seven runs in five innings or something like that. Like they need innings, man. Like, like they can't part of this issue that they have with their bullpen is that they've had to constantly call on Familia, Gesellman, even Drew Smith um, and, and past names who are also hurt now, like, like Tommy Hunter um, or guys that you really need to take carefully like Seth Lugo um, and plug them into these situations where they have to eat innings four through seven because David Peterson can't hack it. I think that it probably does less damage to this team if you have somebody who, even if they give up more runs than Peterson, will actually go deeper into games than Peterson will. Um, that said, it's Thomas Sapucky. And after Thomas Sapucky, it's like Corey Oswald and Jared, and Jared Eikhoff, who aren't on the 40. So it's, I, I think they might have to make a trade a lot's going to go on and there's still time for Peterson to, I think, figure it out. But I think best case scenario here, even if he figures it out, you have two guys in your rotation who can't really go more than like five, 
six innings at most, and they go back to back in this rotation and the bullpen is showing some signs of fatigue because of it. Like no, I don't think any bullpen can really manage the workload that the Mets have had to put on their bullpen. And it doesn't help that like, cause we haven't even talked about Jacob deGrom yet. It doesn't help that deGrom is like getting hurt during his starts again. And like, I love Jacob deGrom watching him on Friday was fantastic, but were we all anticipating that he would go like seven, maybe even eight innings? Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that he didn't, uh, for reasons that aren't his fault, I'm not blaming Jacob deGrom for any of this, uh, probably played a hand in the bullpen being kind of sapped by Sunday. Like, you know, Taiwan Walker too. I mean, Walker and Stroman were the only two pitchers this week who went more than six innings. Uh, that, that like, that's not sustainable either. Like Taiwan Walker is fantastic. He also has a delicate arm and you need to be careful with him. Um, Stroman third time through the order is a much different pitcher. Like you can't be, if the Mets do this every day for five days, they will finish under 500. No team will do well if they're going to their bullpen. This bullpen, especially from the fifth inning on every day for the rest of the season. It's just, it's completely unsustainable. In a perfect world, like Jacob deGrom should be a guy who can go eight every single turn through, uh, which would, oh man, that would help just immensely. Oh, it would, uh, but he, he keeps breaking down after six, you know, in his last start against the Padres, there was the flexor tendon thing, which creates a question mark of if he's even going to be ready for his next start. He says he is. We trust him. He knows his body better than we do. But in his previous start, he was through six in San Diego, scoreless, was brilliant, 85 pitches, should have been able to go another one. And he said he was too tired, even though the, the chains were off, even though, you know, the Mets were saying that he's, healthy now after his IL stint like he's ready to go and he wasn't to go more than six so they need length out of him it's the one knock against Grom kind of is that he has a habit of sometimes being a six inning pitcher six amazing innings but a six inning pitcher sometimes and yeah um you want more out of him sure Stroman's been doing a really good job of getting them to the seventh and sometimes he went six and a third in his last start. Uh, I think he went six and two thirds to start prior to that. So um, he's doing a little bit better. And then Taiwan Walker is also kind of in that same boat of being generally being able to get them to the seventh. Walker faces the Cubs tomorrow uh, for the second time this season. His worst start of the season came against the Cubs. So we'll see how that goes. But they really, man, they really just need David Peterson to step it up because he we had he has shown flashes of being a, a competent major league pitcher. But the last month, he's been just dreadful. Yeah. Tonight is a huge start for him. This is like a career-defining start where can he turn this around? Can he shove six quality innings, seven quality innings against the hot Cubs team? If he can, he'll shut a lot of people up, and he'll inspire a lot more confidence in this fan base and I think in the coaching staff especially moving forward. And he'll actually, like, have successfully played stopper too, which would be huge because right now, like – they're getting Reed Foley back, but I don't think anyone else is like really available out of the pen, except probably Diaz, maybe even Lugo. Like you got Gazelman. I think they I think they held yeah. Gazelman back for today. Yeah. Uh which is smart of them. Uh really smart of them. But also, yeah, it, it does beg the question, like, 
is this really like an ideal situation where like you're not using someone who's actually been a pretty good reliever through the year because like you have someone who might not even go three the next day waiting for you like probably not um I think Peterson and Walker like Walker had his worst start against the Cubs but it was also a start where he wasn't like it was a bad start because he just wasn't throwing strikes the Cubs didn't get anything to hit in that series so if Walker throws strikes he could conceivably do a complete 180 relative to his last start. Um, Peterson's bad starts have been kind of the opposite where, I mean, his control has been bad, but he's leaving things over the plate and he's been getting beat around and he's been, and he got beat around by two really, really like lousy teams. Um, and this Cubs team is, is, you know, they're, like I said, I think they're as good as we are. I think that they're kind of benefiting in a similar matter as us with like the rest of their division just being like very mediocre, but uh, they're, they're still pretty good. And and David Peterson, I think, started – he also had kind of a bad start against them when they were in yeah, Chicago. Yeah, he had a, yeah, that was that 16-4 to game. I'm looking at it right now because I wanted to Today, see. That was, that was the game that, that Trevor Hildeberger gave up the grand slam. Yeah. So – We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the thing too about DeGrom, the last time, and this is definitely going to like sound like we're like going rogue on Jacob DeGrom. He's the best thing that's happened to this team since David Wright. He's like, he's probably the best thing that we have this year. He's the best thing Major League Baseball may even have this year. Uh, his ERA is 0.56. He is freaking phenomenal. Um I'm just, I'm just, I just want what's best for him. And like the last time that we had like a, a, a health scare and he was like, guys, I'm good. I can, I can, I think I can do another. He pitched against the Diamondbacks. He came out, he like looked visibly upset and we were all convinced that he was going to miss like a month. And if we have to go through that on Wednesday against the Cubs, uh, I'm probably not going to leave my room for the rest of the week. Like, I can't let anything bad happen to Jacob DeGrom. So I'm, that's why I'm so worried about him. Um, and that start too, like, I think that start against the Padres was kind of emblematic of the actual series against the Padres. Like, just great stuff, fantastic stuff to, to, to sit in front of and watch, even if you were just watching on TV like I was. Um, and then just the simple fact that it ended with one kind of like gut-wrenching thing completely turned the the emotion of that game on its head and instead of it being like this joyous you know accomplishment where he's now half the era that bob gibson posted in that you know record-breaking season it becomes like this depressing weight to figure out how injured he is. Um, and in the case of the series, it was kind of like, we almost swept, we played fantastic. The game on Saturday was awesome. Like Lindor hitting was awesome. Stroman pitching against this team was awesome. Like they looked like they could hang with this Padres group, which is something that we were all worried about coming into the season. But the fact that they lost on Sunday, the way that they did uh, take something really great and kind of, I think, turns the volume down a bunch of notches. Um, and I really hope DeGrom is good. If he comes out on Wednesday and shoves, I'm going to be overjoyed. But yeah, I'm, I'm still worried. The general consensus is that I'm worried. So yeah, the, my 
job right now kind of prevents me from watching a lot of the games because I'm broadcasting while the Mets are playing. Um, like tonight, I have a seven o'clock game that I got to call, so I won't be watching. I'll be keeping tabs on the Mets, but uh, this weekend, like I couldn't really watch much of the game. Like I caught the last few innings of the Degrom start, but I couldn't really watch while Jake was pitching. I was I was like on my way back from a game, so I was on, I was listening on the radio, and then Saturday, I really didn't watch. Well, I didn't watch any, and then Sunday I couldn't watch any, but I was. I was like off duty kind of during a game because we rotate me and my broadcast partners and just like sitting there in the booth, not doing anything like almost like blowing a gasket. So frustrated watching what was happening unfold on my MLB at bat app in front of me and watching Mets, Mets Twitter implode. And it, man, it's, it just, that was a brutal game. It was brutal. It was a brutal situation. One of my broadcast partners is a Mets fan and like between innings, I showed him what happened. And he was like, Are you kidding me? No. Like, yeah. It was rough. Yeah. Yeah. That was I mean, Sunday in general. Like, it's probably a good thing we didn't actually get the chance to get behind a mic after that game because, like, I mean, yeah, Sam's talked a little bit about his situation on Sunday. It wasn't just, we didn't just reschedule because of Sam's deal. Like, I basically had a falling out with American Airlines and was sitting in a Charlotte airport from 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. for a flight into New York. Like I was operating on two, a two hour nap on the plane and nothing else. Um, so I was, I was in a very grumpy mood after that game. And I wanted to make sure that we like attacked this whole thing, like with nuance and with like, you know, with a measured opinion about everything, because watching that I was I was really pissed off just just looking at the at bat app and then watching it back, like watching the walk to fam. Familia was sitting like 96, 97 in the sixth inning. And then at the beginning of the seventh, he was sitting like 94, 95. It's just, I don't know. I don't want this whole episode to be us talking about the Sunday game, but also like, God damn it. Like that Sunday game was just like, I think everyone's mad in some way, shape or form and they should be. And like, I just, I, you know what it is? You know what it is? It's that, this team has avoided doing that for so long this year. And they were so close to avoiding it against that kind of team, which would have been like, it would have been complete validation of, of this project that the Mets have been working on in, in kind of rewriting all the shit that they've had to deal with the last three years. And they just couldn't finish it. And they came so close. Like they were one out away in that sixth inning or seventh inning. And, they just went to Jacob Barnes. Like they were one pitch away too. Cause yeah. like he had, he was ahead in the count on Jerickson Profar. Yeah. And he couldn't put him away. And that walk loaded the bases for fam. Yeah. And that should have been the end of the day on Familia. Yeah. That's so, yeah. The general, I think we, we all feel a little bit powerless to the situation. Uh, I think me and Sam, we definitely felt more powerless than most people did on Sunday because like we just had like, we were completely freaking exhausted. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I pitched like five innings in a beer league game on two hours of sleep. And the second I like got back to my car, my arm was just like completely like shot. I didn't have any intention of, of doing anything more with baseball. All I wanted to do was go to sleep. Um, it's not great. I mean, the one nice thing kind of about this week 
is that Francisco Lindor is very much back. If we can potentially pivot to the good things. Uh, yeah, we can. I, not to one-up you. I don't think I am one-upping you. I no, think. no. Yeah, tell him. Tell him you win. I had double headers to call on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. When I, in the second game of the second doubleheader, the Sunday doubleheader, we, my team won 15 to nothing. And there was no mercy rule. And the other team could not throw strikes. They went through like five pitchers. None of them were good. It felt like a high school game. There were like eight or nine walks for my team. Uh, Like, like three or four bases loaded walks and like a bases loaded hit by pitch. So we scored 15 runs, but it wasn't like a fun game to call. Yeah. Because it was just brutally slow. And thank God our pitching was good because that game could have lasted like four hours if it was a slug fest. Yeah. Uh, but by the time that one ended, everyone on the game day staff, the broadcast interns, the game day operations interns, we were just like, let's go home. <laughs> Because... We are all the Mets bullpen in one way or another. I think that's kind of the the, the takeaway here is that we're all very tired. Yes. Um, so the good stuff, though. Yeah, the good stuff. James McCann is still productive. Francisco yeah. Lindor is being very productive for the most part. Pete Alonso is being productive after he came off the IL. Jonathan VR has been productive after his hamstring scare. So offense is working. Billy McKinney has also been great, even though he's a little banged up right now. He just keeps hitting extra base hits. Billy, we got to work on a work workshop, a nickname for him. Billy extra base hits because that doesn't roll off the tongue. I like Billy Goat. Sure. Yeah. Of all time. Definitely the greatest depth pickup of all time. Um, he's been he's just been like in another league relative to who else they have. I mean, Mason Williams had some good games too. I don't think Mason Williams will be here like that much longer, but. He's a lot better than Cameron Maven was. Like, immeasurably better than Cameron Maven was. Um, We can cut it out with the takes that when Michael Conforto and Brandon Nimmo come back, uh, who's going to get the playing time, McKinney or them? Like, let's cut it out with that stuff. Uh, But he's been really fun. Dom Smith. People want to bench Dom, which is just, like, mind-boggling to me. Even if Dom has struggled, like, you you really think that, like, Kevin Pilar needs more time than Dom Smith here. Like it's, 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 it's whack. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, McKinney's been really good though. And well, I mean, Conforto and McNeil are coming back soon too. That's the other good thing. They're, they're the two guys now. Cause we got Guillaume back this week. Um, Tommy Hunter got moved to the 60 day IL. Dylan Batances is throwing uh, rehab games. Uh, and he apparently touched 94. I I really don't know if if he's going to come out and be much better than Jacob Barnes is. But if he is, like, that's another thing where, like, you replace Maven with McKinney, you replace Barnes with Batances, and that can be something to to make progress on. But, like... I, I don't ever want to watch Dylan Batances pitch ever again. I still have some Stockholm Syndrome on the whole thing. I still, like, I still really want to see him do well. But I don't believe he will. The fact that he is throwing rehab games, though, and they're not like Jed Lowrying this this thing with him is is encouraging. And if the ninety four is real, then it 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 it's certainly uh it's certainly better than than what Jacob Barnes can give you right now. But it's also like it is. I mean, the real story is that Conforto and McNeil might be back. McNeil might be back by the end of next week. Uh, Conforto might be back the week after, some point, maybe middle of that week. Um, 
And as those dudes, I think, come back into the fold and this team really starts to materialize into the roster that we had at the be- the beginning of the year, like that's going to, I think that's going to do a lot of good things, uh, especially because the schedule only gets harder and, uh, you know, you're going to, you're going to need more runs because this pitching staff is only going to get more tired. Never going to complain about more runs. Yeah. Definitely. Offense. Good. Let's, let's do that offense. Yeah. As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Yeah. He's had some, Lindor's had some really good swings. Uh, I mean, he and McCann pretty much turned it on on the exact same day. Like since I have the stats here since May 27th, um, James McCann in that time is hitting 356 and he's slugging 711. Uh, Lindor is hitting 327 and he's slugging 600. And he had um, he had a pair of extra base hits last week too. He His, owns Joe Musgrove, which is cool. Yeah, twice. And he had good swings against Musgrove too. Those were not like those weren't like Mickey Mouse extra base hits. Like he is starting to hit pitches that he wasn't hitting um, early on in the season. He was like just pounding into the ground a lot. Uh, and his, you know, most of his like metric values, like wins above replacement, that stuff, they're all really high because his defense has bailed them out in basically every possible situation. The defense in general has been a lot better. I love that they're shifting. Uh, someone showed me, uh, like that Jose Peraza was apparently like third on outs above average. Most of that has to do with shifting, but it's still like a lot of outs above average for a Met infielder. Yeah. He was like plus six. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's been really encouraging. And I think all those encouraging things kind of add to like why it's so frustrating that they don't win the games they should win which like yeah if you step back and you look at why people are upset you actually I think feel a lot better but yeah they I mean yeah I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go back to why they should have won that game on Sunday I think we've established that also I didn't add this to the to to our little uh like board when we think about things we're going to talk about do you hear Pete Alonso's comments about the uh the the ball like being like the seams being adjusted. Cause I think that that whole like dialogue is becoming really interesting. Yeah. I had never heard that particular take on it, that yeah. they're doing it as a way to suppress salaries based on the free agent class. But that was fascinating. And I think there, you know, there's some stock there. Like that's yeah. really fascinating, but he was basically and- saying they want a more hitter friendly baseball in years with a heavy pitching free agent class to drive salaries down for those guys. And yeah. they want a more pitcher friendly baseball like this year's baseball in a more hitter friendly free agent class, like the upcoming one. Yeah. Uh, Makes because, sense. Because those guys will, the guys hitting the market will have worse years in those cases. And the owners and, spend less money. Yeah. And the teams can spend less on them. Uh, like, you know that Pete didn't come up with that himself. He's only been in this league for like two years there's definitely somebody who told him this in like 2019 or 2020 somebody who's been around a lot longer um pro labor comrade pete alonzo kind yeah. of into it though and of course like the front office is playing it like he's a conspiracy theorist and like i'm sure that he and zach scott like have an okay relationship i don't think there's any like bad tension between anyone in the mets clubhouse and front office especially when you replace brody ben wagonen with somebody which like you bring anyone other than Brody and I think the players are going to like him a lot more, but uh, it's, it's, I mean, 
And he's not the first person to mention the whole Rawlings thing too. I think Justin Verlander was the one who pioneered that uh, argument that because Major League Baseball bought out Rawlings in like 2018, they now have the liberty to adjust the baseballs they see fit. And the other thing I've been thinking a lot about too, um, and this is something that I think, I don't think I've really heard it in a lot of circles. And maybe that's just because I'm not looking around the right places, but like the whole like players cheating thing, when you really step back and think about like why pitchers are using sticky substances more often uh, or why even like hitters are using like advanced technology to figure out like what pitches are coming that's all just a reaction to, to the playing field feeling like it's no longer level, um, which I think is, I think that's kind of like interesting to think that maybe the reason that, I mean, Trevor Bauer, as much as I don't like him, uh, I think that I don't necessarily know if we have the same conversations about uh, pine tar use and whatever chemicals he's been using if he wasn't so vocal about how many people were cheating and he's not the only one, which is why it's like, I'm not about to like hand the award for, for revolutionary to him. But like, you do have this, this dialogue that's beginning where I think players are being a lot more open about like why they cheat, why it's so difficult to stay honest because the league isn't being honest. Yeah. Bauer was the whistleblower on that whole thing in like 2018 yeah. And like there's videos of him being like, no, no, I'm I'm far too moral to do that myself. But guys are doing it. Yeah. And then like he very clearly started doing it after that. Yeah. Uh, and like, so it's, it's hilarious seeing him struggle now that his substances oh, are wrong. Oh, giving up lasers. Tragic hero. It's it's not that kind of thing. Like I enjoy it a lot. But it's so cathartic to watch him give up like lasers to Jonah Heim. Yeah like a, a backup catcher on the Rangers hitting like 150. It's, yeah. it's, it's beautiful. Um, but like people are like trying to treat him like as the hero of this story. I know foolish baseball who's per, like makes great content. Yeah. And rarely misses, but he missed big time earlier this week. He tweeted that Bowers, you know, the hero of this story because he was the whistleblower. No, I mean, no, uh, he yeah. was the whistleblower and he, he gets credit for that. Um, but he also like did it and is a hypocrite for saying that he would never do it and then did it. Yeah. So I think the more measured take is that it's that it's not so much the Bowers a hero. I don't think there are any heroes in this story. I just think there are villains and there are people who are like trying to get even with villains because ultimately what this comes down to is maybe some players just decided to cheat because they, they wanted to cheat and they wanted to win, or maybe they decided to cheat because they felt like, they were being gamed by whoever was adjusting the baseballs, whoever was implementing rules. Like, yeah, either one, but it's, or, no or uh, if you look at this more of like a systematic kind of approach, why are so many, you know, uh, why are so many pitchers doing this? Like, yeah. would they be doing this if it was easier to get paid in this league? Yeah. Or the would league, they be doing this if the ball wasn't being completely manipulated every season? Oh, I mean, I mean more along the lines of it's so hard to reach a payday in free agency. Yeah. Uh, because first of all, salaries are, are repressed in this game. Yeah. And it takes six years of service time for most players, most good players. It takes seven years because they have their service clock, uh, service time clocks manipulated by their teams. Uh, 
the whole service time thing is a mess. If it was easier for guys, if the arbitration scale was more fair or started earlier or what have you, if guys weren't so insecure about getting to free agency or getting paid or getting even to arbitration, because it takes three years to get to arbitration, uh, maybe they wouldn't be so inclined to cheat. Uh, and then maybe, maybe we wouldn't have a system that rewards guys for cheating like Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer getting their paydays after mm-hmm. using the sticky stuff for so, for so long. Yeah. Um, that's, that's my take. I feel like if you really want to get rid of incentivizing cheating, then we need to, you know, revamp the whole system top to bottom, the whole free agency, the whole service time system. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely conversation for that, especially with the CBA expiring after this year. Yeah. Um, but that's my whole kind of opinion on it. Yeah. Uh, and, and from that yeah. note, we, we can remember guys, if, if you'd like to. Yeah. I'm, I'll add one thing too, just very briefly, like you can pay minor leaguers too. That's another way to keep this going. Cause I'm, I'm positive that there are minor leaguers who feel the, their only way of getting out of their situation, like driving Ubers or working at fast food restaurants while they're also playing baseball is to cheat because it's impossible to make money in their situation. It's impossible to make money once they're finished as players. Like, I don't know. I think that ultimately there's also a big thing about like, it it poses like the philosophical question about like why people even commit crimes. And a lot of it has to do with just like, they need to pay for their own things. Like they have their own situation that they need to support themselves in. Like players are cheating in, in some areas probably because they're you know they're immoral and they're wrong but also like i mean steroid era stuff took off around the same time as the strike you want to talk about like labor stuff and talk about making money and surviving a lot of this is just a reaction to other entities being corrupt so yeah i'm not gonna i think go with that any further because we should remember some guys but um yeah yeah i agree with you if i definitely uh am a big uh I'm I'm in I'm on Pete Alonso's side on this. I'm pretty much always going to side with the players. I think because they're the ones who make baseball fun. And one player who made baseball fun for me. See how I did this. See how I, see how I transitioned into remembering guys. Uh, I'm remembering Damian Easley because we haven't oh. remembered him yet, which is amazing to me. We, all the talk about bench mobs, and we never talked about like the the mob king in like. 2007 and 2008 Damien Easley was one of just the most clutch pinch hitters the Mets ever had and he could play like any position and he would play through injuries it didn't matter you know who his manager was whether that was Willie Randolph or uh, Jerry Manuel and he also is from New York so I, I, I think it's high time that we pay some respects to Damien Easley so we'll remember him who do you got I, I first of all I always kind of I think of Mo- when I think of a Damien Easley, I always think of Moises Alou too, because they were kind yeah. of like I know Alou played a little bit more, but when I was like a seven-year-old, in my mind, they were basically the same kind of player. Yeah, um, they came in the same off-season. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's my contribution to Damien Easley. Uh, my guy mm-hmm. is so I, I came across this stat on Twitter, and it's it's perfect for the remembering guys segment today so uh the other day this was on the 11th so i think that was friday max scherzer lasted a third of an inning left after 12 pitches for the nationals because of a, a groin injury okay anthony di sclafani threw a complete game for the giants yeah. so 
DiScalfani got 26 more outs than Scherzer. Yeah. The last time there was a bigger difference in the amount of outs recorded by starting pitchers in a game happened with the Mets mm -hmm. against the Reds in mm -hmm. 1999 on May 21st. Mark Hutton didn't record an out for the Reds, so he left without recording a single out. And the Mets pitcher threw a complete game. Again, got all 27 outs. That pitcher for the Mets is who I'm remembering today. Yeah. Do you know who I'm talking about? I do, but I'm going to let you say it because this is your guy. It's Masato Yoshi. Yeah. That's the like Japanese, one of Rob favorites. Shout out to Rob Pearsall. The Japanese right-hander who had two pretty good years with the Mets. Yeah. In the late 90s. Yeah. Big innings. Came over at 33 years old, pitched to a sub-4 ERA in 1998. And then uh, an ERA in the mid fours in 1999 before moving on to the Rockies and then Expos and a, a brief five-year career in, in the majors, but one that started at age 33. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I just think it's fascinating. Yeah, he was, he was cool. I mean, I didn't watch him, but he was one of those like, because those teams in the late nineties, they were just completely pieced. They had a bunch of hitters and then their pitching staff was like, it was basically like, Al Leiter and then like a bunch of veterans who kind of like just got clumped together into one rotation. And the whole purpose was just to eat innings. Like Rick Reed didn't strike anybody out, but his whole purpose was just to eat innings. Like I think they had Oral Hershiser that year too. They just had like a bunch of dudes who, or like they had, um, I'm forgetting who, well, Yoshi was one of them too. Like yeah. they just had a bunch of dudes who, their whole purpose was to just like go eight and then give the ball to like Benitez or something, which was conducive to a 98 win team. So yeah, he, in it's the, all, it's all, yeah. In, in both 98 and 99, he threw better than 170 innings, both uh, marks that he did not ever do again in his other three years, but he was like ridiculously league average 107 ERA plus in 98, 101 ERA plus in 99, which is like, pretty much average if a hundred is, is league average for ERA plus. So he was like, couldn't like the strikeout numbers. They're hilarious. 171 and two thirds yeah. innings in 1998, 117 strikeouts. That yeah. is like 6.1 K per nine. Can you imagine a pitcher getting 29, 30 starts in this, in this day and age of baseball with a strikeout number that low 6.1 K per nine. Well, if we'd signed Rick Parcella, we could have figured that out. But unfortunately, he's he's still in New Jersey or something. So, just it's hilarious that in like twenty years, things have changed so much in baseball. Definitely, I think I like strikeouts more than no strikeouts. But I've become more sympathetic to the 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 argument that it's more fun watching a pitcher go like eight innings because the game goes faster, and it I think gives you a little bit more action. It's definitely like a more weighted argument. Strikeouts are great though. I, I will watch Jacob deGrom a million times before I watch any of these, uh, you know, all timer pitchers who averaged four and a half strikeouts per nine, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I think that's a, a lot good place. Of stuff, though. I think that's a good place to put a pin in it for this week. Sure. All right. Um, hope you guys got a chance to listen to this one before the Mets take on the Cubs tonight, Monday night. If not, you know, we then then you know you're listening to late information, but it's fine. It's fine. Episode forty in the books of Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. My name's Sam Lowitz. Again, 
Joined as always by Jack Hendon and Mets fans. Let's root for David Peterson tonight. Have a pleasant evening. Thank you.